Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 245 is Thomas Quilfelt. Hi there. From Kane and Rince. Welcome. So this show is slight departure from the norm. Not a major one, but a minor one, in that uh, we've got no community requests just for this uh, this particular show however it was thomas's suggestion that what we do is we talk about some pick some tunes and talk about some tunes that uh, bring us uh, succor is that the right word comfort uh, help us with looking after ourselves especially during stressful times and especially for those of us and there are many who suffer with uh, mental health issues such as anxiety with the potential for depression and uh, and such related matters so we thought we'd uh, as thomas and i are both very familiar with that uh, mental situation and we know just how prevalent a thing it is and how even maybe some people who haven't felt this before might be feeling it at the moment in the current climate we record this in april 2020 in the uk and uh, we are heading towards what we hope will be the peak of the coronavirus, COVID-19 crisis. Uh, I say I hope it will be the peak in the sense that that means that we'll be starting, things will start to improve from the horrific situation that we're in at the moment. Um, and yeah, so we've picked some tunes which are either pieces of music in themselves that make us comfortable somehow mentally or are from games which we might use to improve our well-being on a day-to-day -day basis so with that in mind 
Thomas, was there anything else you wanted to say about the the nature of this particular, very special edition of Sound of Play? Well, it's it's just such a strange time. It's funny because over the last couple of years, I, I feel like mental talk about mental health awareness of it had been growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, like the Royals getting involved and some footballers coming out and doing, you know, little documentaries about mental health, anxiety, mm. that kind of thing. Um, you and I, Leon, have, have spoken on occasion of, of, uh, of dealing with anxiety and, and coping. And obviously as, as gamers, it just sort of feeds into that hobby and that hobby is a, is a relief from it uh, or maybe, you know, de- almost certainly a response to it what you choose to play, when you choose to play it, uh, mm. and which kind of um, angle of attack uh, uh, you're having. And we'll get into that later about maybe games where which make you feel anxious, but you can master them, uh, or games yeah. which are just pure comfort blanket, you know, pure right. sw- switch your brain off and mm. and go chill. But, but, but yeah, mental health has been growing. And then um, two, two much bigger world issues that, are likely to increase anxiety massively across society, of course. Uh, the climate uh, emergency debate had mm. been growing over the last year or so to, to, to almost fever pitch, I'd say. And then to gazump that is, is this global pandemic, which of course is just, you know, the most clear-cut uh, excuse to feel anxious, excuse to, yeah. to catastrophize or, or feel low. Um, uh, and you couldn't ever judge anyone for feeling that way uh, during this because of the way that we have to, at the moment, self-isolate, stay at home, not do the things we'd normally do, not socialise, not hug other people from outside of our household. You know, these mm. these sort of basics of, of mental health. Um, and, uh, and we have, you know, people are having to find uh, methods of self-care and and look after themselves in different ways um, at home, and, and they're allowed out once a day. It's a it's a it's it's dystopian in a way, you know. Allowed out once a day for your daily exercise, and I'm sure people are bending and stretching that that in in various ways to try and make themselves feel a bit better. Um, but yeah, it's just a very strange. It's what I mean is it's a very strange time that awareness of mental health. Was, was getting much better. Uh, it was definitely in the conversation. And then mm. along comes, you know, uh, two debates, two, two events to, to really challenge us all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so obviously, I, you know, I hope lots of our listeners will have different listeners in different places. I think mainly we're in the UK and, and some in America as well. Uh, and I'm conscious that different people will be under different situations and at different parts of the 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 curve of the virus as well and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so in the UK, our, our lockdown is more of a it's more of a pseudo lockdown in that it's being very strongly encouraged, and it's uh, there are some caveats and get out clauses which are allowing some people who either don't care or feel that they're impervious or they don't understand how a virus works to still sort of push the boundaries of what's acceptable. And of course, that's also creating a certain amount of conflict and tension between other people. But overall, I have to say my overriding feeling about the virus, uh, the pandemic situation from the beginning is that at least 
at least here and I think elsewhere as well from what I've seen and read is that you've got a you've got a kind of a layer at the bottom I say at the bottom you've got a layer at one end of people who are far too blase about the entire thing for whatever reason whatever their reasons are they don't they don't get it you've got a layer at the other end who are who have decided that it is the end times it is the apocalypse and those were the ones who needed to immediately go and buy all the toilet roll depriving other people of toilet roll and tin food and then you've got actually with exceptions a large core in the middle of society the vast majority of people are being sensible pragmatic gracious courteous helpful um and while it's a situation that inevitably i think has brought out the best and the worst in in people i think overall my my uh my world view has not been harmed by society's response to it mm. yeah. do you feel do you feel the same way or am i just being I optimistic find it, it's tricky and, and it's tricky because of how we usually gather information about society I've been working from home for years now anyway and sort yeah. of mostly just sort of seeing my computer or seeing my children and my wife so not a great deal has changed actually on a daily basis apart from the uh, you know checking the news and of course news and media consumption all of that is is uh, uh how that interacts with mental health is a is a whole complicated yeah. thing and uh, it's a self part of general self-care routines to kind of limit your media or, or, or strictly control and curate it as well yeah yeah, yeah. so so i it, it, to judge by sort of reading bbc news guardian that kind of thing on the apps uh to try and judge how society is reacting yes of course and one and based on assumptions about people you just assume the vast majority the large majority of people like you say being sensible being uh, in many cases generous and helpful we we were out last night we we're recording this on a friday morning on a thursday evening at least at the moment we're doing a clap for the nhs at 8 p.m which is where uh, we've been going out of our front door and just sort of looking up and down the road and lots of people banging pans and setting off fireworks yeah. and it every time it sort of brings a little tear to your eye and you you feel good and you feel uplifted by uh, at the very very least this bit of our community responding you know really really well and collectively um so so based on the evidence of of that of of the external sources of information coming into me um uh, it seems like a pretty good response across the board but of course i sit here wondering about all sorts of sectors of society across the world and how they you know that i don't have access to that i don't have insight to and how they're responding yeah. and just probably wondering it's going to take decades to to hear accounts of how this all went down and, and how people coped and, and what happened so yeah very strange time yeah so for sure back to the video games and music it's uh where people we we would encourage uh people to look after others where they can absolutely and offer support in in whatever ways they can uh, certainly we've had some fantastic messages in from uh, patrons and and people on social media just thanking us for keeping the show going and a bit of normality and a bit of comfort and you know regular kind of routine stuff some entertainment some people need more entertainment uh in uh in the the time that they've got other people are probably finding it way more stressful uh obviously those in a lot of people just in small 
abodes with multiple children that don't normally spend that many hours a day all kind of in together and obviously there's uh there's people in toxic relationships which is just yeah it's just horrendous to think about um but as well as thinking about other people and looking after other people you do have to think about yourself and look after yourself so with that in mind uh, we open the show with a piece of music and uh, thomas tell tell us about uh, why you picked that particular piece for this particular show one of my sons is at the moment four years old and of course i've been trying to play all sorts of different video games and i've taken a bit of a uh, th- throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks approach, uh, which has annoyed my wife because she's like, oh, why do you keep introducing him to new games? And it's like, because I'm trying to find the one that that will that will stick for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, playing together, but also him playing. He's sort of frustrated and wants to control sometimes, but some of the games I've picked are just with dual stick control. They're just too fiddly, essentially, yeah. or they're using 3D space or whatever. Mm. So we had great success with... Um, uh, uh, Captain Toad uh, uh, on Switch, where it's got a lovely uh, kind of assist mode, where he can essentially use the pointer as a light gun to to shoot things at the screen and and flip certain switches, whilst I'm controlling the more fiddly puzzle elements of Captain Toad around the level. That was brilliant. We completed the whole game together. Uh, it was really lovely time together. That's really cool. Um, like that's not. Not all of that game is super simple either. No, no. Um, so there was me finding really creative ways to swear <laughs> in front of him <laughs> and my wife. Fiddlesticks. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, but that, that went down a lot better than um, Yoshi's Crafted World, which uh, unfortunately was oh. a bit fiddly, even huh. though it's on a 2D plane. Um, but we had less success with that, although we did beat that as well, um, thanks to Kane and Rince's Dez for lending us that. But I was thinking about um, creative games uh, because, uh, you know, in a world of Stardew Valley and Minecraft, um, it's possible he's too young for that kind of stuff. But uh, he was he's still intrigued. I've loaded up Minecraft on the PS4 a couple of times. He is interested in was interested in it. Mm. But uh, the problem is it needs to be a game I want to play as well or watch him play or help him play. So we tried uh, Stardew Valley on the iPad a bit. Uh, we tried some Minecraft. And then I was hearing very good things about Dragon Quest Builders 2. Yeah. And the, the, the two particular things about it were um, uh, structure and um, control. So in terms of structure, having that people saying it's a great way to kind of get into that Minecraft. I mean, it is Minecraft and a very twee jrpg mush together it is more than that but not much more than that that's basically it you get you get what it is um and the beautiful thing about having the jrpg structure is you know these cutesy characters it it tells you essentially what to do from the beginning and and introduces you to the different kinds of blocks and mechanics of the game which um and it's just childish enough that um i can read out the dialogue some of which is quite fruity actually to be honest but i can censor it on the go because he can't read (laughs) what certificate game is it do you know i don't know i don't know i think it must be a pg or something but it's Mm. not fruit it's not explicitly fruity no 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 it's that kind of um suggestive japanese yeah there's like ladies in bunny costumes and for no reason and (laughs) it is odd it is odd how they mix those tones i think anyone who's played you know the like the bravely default or whatever wonders Mm. about mixing chibi and adult yeah. themes anyway i can censor that 
from him because I'm reading the dialogue. There's no spoken dialogue. It actually seems like quite a budget game in some ways in terms of the storyline uh, uh, right. and how they've pieced it together. Uh, and also in terms of the music, they haven't got original compositions. They've, uh, as far as I can tell, they've borrowed um, bits of Dragon Quest music from across yeah. the, the series by Koichi Sugiyama, who is the you know controversial composer who's had controversial views. He's in some ways the grandfather of um, of Japanese video game music. Um, his music was some of the first to be played by an orchestra and, and played in concerts and stuff. So very storied career there and they've they've taken um i think they've done new uh uh sort of digital instrument recordings of various pieces from across the series anyway cut a long story short uh there's a farm section the first island you go to in the game is a farm you build a farm it's lovely and twee and um there's a very short loop of music while you're in your farm uh that, that i found out researching for this show is not from dragon quest builders 2 it's from dragon quest 5 uh and it's either known as sad village or country living and um yeah we've listened to it on loop a lot whilst growing cabbages and stuff me sitting with my four-year-old son and it has brought me a lot of comfort and uh we all hum it together and um and yeah it's just lovely to be able to bring him to uh jrpg music like this and have him uh, uh, start to fall in love with it the way I've been in love with it for such a long time, you know, since Final Fantasy VII, since the late 90s. Excellent. Okay, well, it's high time we listen to some more music, so what we'll do is we'll go straight into my first pick and then we'll talk about it afterwards. You may recognise it, listener, but this is from OutRun, Passing Breeze. <laughs>
by Hiroshi Kawaguchi from 1986's Outrun. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the relationship between nostalgia and self-care, because I think it's a slightly complicated one in the sense that it can be really helpful to nostalgia, but it also can be quite painful at times. If you're going through a really tough time, thinking about better times can be both a blessing and a curse, a, a curse, a double-edged sword, if you will, because there is the danger that you just think, well, my life will never be that good again. I'll never feel as happy as I did and as carefree as I did when I was, for example, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid in the arcades playing Outrun. Uh, that under those Sega blue skies, actually all different colour skies in Outrun, of course, as you go from stage to stage. And we've played Magical Sound Shower and a few other tracks from Outrun before, but Passing Breeze is the one that uh, perhaps is the most evocative of a kind of laid back cruising drive, even though, of course, you still drive at 258 kilometres an hour, whatever it is, uh, in your Testarossa. Uh, the, the, the Passing Breeze track is the most kind of loungy, jazzy, yeah, kind of chill soundtrack of the original three on, on that game. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's, I've got a, a close friend, uh, my friend Barnaby, who lives downstairs from us, actually. He, he's somebody who kind of almost lives in the past in that so much of the stuff he is obsessed with is from the 70s, 80s and, and 90s. Like, it sort of slightly concerns me about him in that he doesn't seem to embrace anything new. That's probably slightly unfair, but he really is quite quite kind of locked into to that nostalgic mindset. And I think maybe it's not always that helpful because there is always that pining for pining for what's lost, pining for childhood. But what I find is that because I play a lot of games from a lot of eras, some of them remain nostalgic. And if I am feeling fragile or delicate, uh, I find that a game like Outrun, which I've ended up playing on and off over the years on every time it's released on a new format. So I played it on in the arcades and then I got the Saturn version in the mid 90s and then the 3DS version came along a few years ago and now I'm playing the Switch version. It doesn't have, it's not necessarily locked to that specific time. So it's just a kind of a through line of, of comfort. Of course, the, the look and the feel of it and playing it does take me back to an extent, but it's also a reminder that, you know, things carry on, things, there will be, you know, bright moments of, of sheer joy, the, the likes of, of this game that I'm quite good at because I've played it so much over the years brings. And yeah, just, there's just a carefreeness to, to Outrun, which even though it's, it's not an easy game on its default settings, I wouldn't have said, uh, and it, it handles quite weirdly. By, by modern driving game standards, but it's still got that that joie de vivre and that sort of um, yeah, just that sense of sense of joy that 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 makes it still a, a happy place to go on a sunny day. There's a really two really good points you raise there. One is about um, you you games. Everyone talks about like uh, uh, smell and yeah. mem- and memory and how like yeah. a single smell can take you back to a single moment. Um, or maybe a, a smell could take you back to a job you worked for a couple of years. Um, um, but there is a difference that, that you raised between, so for me, the, 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 the one time I played Metal Gear Solid in a 
almost straight 12-hour run with my buddy sitting on my bedroom floor up against a mattress and my mum brought us drinks hmm. and we just absolutely caned and rinsed it in one go. I've never actually played Metal Gear Solid again since that day, oh, really, wow. even though right. I consider it one of my favourite games. I've watched it on YouTube stuff. And then for you, Outrun, for me, Final Fantasy VII, where I've played it mm. so many times, I, ca- I do have specific memories of the first time I, f- I played it. Yeah. But I've just played it on every single... I've paid Square Enix so much money, well over 100 quid for that game, again and again and again, and recently <laughs> on Switch. Uh, uh, and I just started the remake, actually. Yeah. But, um, and then the other night when some of the COVID news was just, you know, so overwhelming. I, I almost I almost had to just sit and stare at the wall. It was a really heavy evening chatting with my wife who didn't really want to chat about it. And, mm. and I just reached the switch and I just loaded up. I mindlessly loaded up Final Fantasy VII. I just put all of the assists on and I just sort of got, you know, 20 minutes in. And just that was just enough. To, and it didn't take me back to any specific moment uh, in my past. But just because it was this this thing of comfort that I've revisited so many times. And I don't need to complete that playthrough i might not even get back to it whatever it doesn't matter but but just having that there um and in a way slightly tangential it's it's like it's why ports uh and emulation and all of that is is so important in one way is to just make sure that people have those forever games available to them uh uh, on on newer platforms on easy reach platforms like the switch Mm. The, the other point you make about is that that 90s Japanese blue sky aesthetic. I've been watching a lot of the Studio Ghibli films with my uh, uh, children, um, the kiddie ones, especially from the mid nineties. There's a lesser known one called Ocean Waves, which oh. ain't that great a film. It is on Netflix now for UK uh, uh, people. I don't know about other territories, but it's got um, some really cheesy music. But I really, I quite like really cheesy Japanese soundtrack music, especially chill, summery stuff. And there's a couple of pieces on there that actually remind me a lot of Outrun and that vibe. Mm. Um, I think that's just a really generally quite relaxing uh, aesthetic. And uh, I kind of wish it would come back a bit more a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's certain movement towards uh, towards that. And there's certainly a few nostalgic racing games in the works. Uh, one of the, the sort of the more positive stories, obviously, a lot of us uh, I think this is something that wouldn't have concerned me unduly as a younger person, but as you get older, you become more aware of the sort of the global financial implications of of this pandemic situation. One of the uh, and like we're trying to again just as a as a group of friends here in Brighton, we're just doing our best to support um, those of us who can afford it, just to support all of the local companies who are now doing takeaways instead of and deliveries instead of uh, eating. You know, because Tanya and I, the things we do together as a couple are football, cinema, uh, cafes, restaurants, pubs. <laughs> like those are our those are our couple of things. So uh, also going for long walks. But um, so, yeah, that, that's all that's all gone. But what we're trying to do is a lot of the a lot of the local businesses have set up, uh, you know, trying to run under different. Um, opera- operations uh, systems and 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 we're trying to we're doing our best to support them as well. Um, I can't remember what my point about that was. I was just saying, I was just segueing into support your local businesses if you can. <laughs> um, what was what was I talking about before? Outrun. Uh, we, we were. 
you were coming out. We we're talking about the Japanese blue skies and nineteen oh, yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, well, at least I that's was right. coming out. I know my point. Yeah, yeah. No, it was just that obviously a lot of businesses are going to suffer, and a lot of individuals, and that's you know, one of the great anxieties that people will have is if they haven't been if their job hasn't been retained or you know they're worried that the company they work for is not going to survive through this is obviously a, a just adds to the already you know massive impact again it's a, a place in a way in which i consider tanya and i fortunate in that our uh, th- three incomes are uh, effectively safer than they were before because she works for the police i work for the nhs um, and we're and and uh, and obviously i make the you know, I run Caden Ritz as well, which is uh, which is something we do from home anyway. Um, but video games uh, as an industry, although obviously there there are effects overall, and maybe some studios are finding it harder than others. The the signs are that actually it's it's doing well for the industry. Games industry is is on the up because of this situation because people want home entertainment. Uh, so again, you. I think it's important to look for the little silver linings where you can find them. Isn't it amazing? It's it feels like it's two thousand. I I don't I didn't get a Wii around the time that it was all sold out right at the beginning, but the, the right. fact that the Switch is just sold yeah. out everywhere, going for insane prices. Yeah, like my yeah. mate was talking about trying to get one for his girlfriend for like three hundred and fifty quid. I was just like, yeah, what? that's a shame when that happens. <laughs> I guess it's inevitable, but but yes, it's uh and and I'm just I've been even sort of surprised there will be a delay to releases in the future certainly physical releases and apparently the the Japanese ratings board is is in ice, is in hibernation at the moment so that will have a knock-on effect for releases later in the year uh, in that normally that process would be would have been done and put to bed um I mean it's not like there aren't enough games to be getting on with mm. I'm actually I'm We'll, we'll perhaps talk more later about things to, positives to take from this situation, but um, but I've been amazed by just how many updates all the apps and stuff on my phone are getting, and how how many game patches are coming out and new releases on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays as well. It's it's like the quick uh, a- adaptation to working from home for the industry seems to have been, I guess, because it's a tech based industry has been easier for it to embrace whereas where i work it was a bit like ah what do we do and i'm you know i actually had effectively i had a run-in with my bosses about you know i'm saying i can work from home and they're saying no you can't i'm saying no i really can and you should make sure that i am and i won so (laughs) in the end it's not it's not really a silver lining it's just a those of us who like video games Mm. everyone who listens to this i think it's safe to assume yes We've all now been for several years getting used to digital media, which mm. not everybody does. We're getting used to consoles, switches, computers, tablets, phones, whatever, downloading digital games, knowing what we want to play for different situations, having backlogs and things like that. You know, knowing the difference between diving into a giant 100 hour game or dipping into an MMO or just playing a quick puzzle game. And we'll, we'll get to some of those differences later. but. In some ways, our hobby, uh, uh, not just from an industry perspective, money perspective, but just from a mental organization perspective of like, I'm playing these games at the moment. I'm going to play those next. This game is going to make me happy and relaxed. This game is going to, you know, Animal Crossing. This game is going to challenge me, Sekiro or whatever it is. Yeah, I'd, I'd say 
in some ways, those of us who, who, who partake of this hobby have been arranging our minds in such yeah. a way that it's actually quite helpful now to, to be able to parcel out your own digital entertainment and work out what's going to keep you afloat. Yeah, generally absolutely. speaking. Mm. Your next pick interests me because I very much have you down associated with the the Sony side of things, the PlayStation brand. Absolutely. But here we are. Yeah, you've got a uh, you've got a an Xbox 360. It's also you can play it on uh, on the Xbox One as well, fully backwards compatible and actually enhanced uh, on the X, I believe. Uh, this is a Grant Kirkhope piece, which uh, evokes a very different vibe to Outrun, but a similarly lovely one. Yeah, it's it's it, it's not for any of. There's nothing to do with Xbox that it's included here. Although I did have the because I was so desperate to play Outer Wilds last year, I borrowed an Xbox One from a friend and um just to play Outer Wilds, beat that, beat Gears Five quickly campaign, dipped into Forza and um showed my four year old Viva Pinata because I was curious about it. I'd never played it, so we played mm. twenty five minutes of it. Ended up naming two of the first piñatas after both my sons and then they mated and it was weird and awkward uh. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway moving uh. on but it's not because of that play it's not because of that awkward playthrough uh, uh brief uh, play uh, that uh, that this is on here obviously grant Kirkhope, you know i've been to video games music for decades now grant Kirkhope, you can't escape him he's a legend uh he's the man he's awesome but you know i invited him to uh to do an interview on Sound of Play uh, yeah. with um, some super fans that we have amongst the crew, and that all went brilliantly. And mm. um, uh, what a legend, Yorkshireman in uh, in is he in LA? I think or something. They they must love his accent over there. Anyway, yeah, I'll be yeah. confused by it. Um, it's one of his best. Sorry, of his many brilliant scores, it is one of my favourites. Mm. Um, Viva Pinata, because he got some budget. Uh, to to record yes. it with an orchestra noticeably and yeah. um it's just so lush track after track the vibe is is perfect my favorite track on that album is actually oven fresh day which has been played in sound of play before and everybody pretty much knows that you know these gorgeous summery melodies and then um once my children were getting a bit bigger then they share a room one year old and a four year old and i like to put on some sleepy music I've had a sleepy music, game music podcast uh, uh, playlists for years now, and I was gonna. I sort of had an old iPhone that I turned into an iPod, stuck some of the um, uh, sleepy tracks on there that would be appropriate to kind of play to them at night, and uh, and Grant's right there, uh, uh, and uh, reading them stories and having the music play in the background. This is one of the tracks that kept sticking out to me as my kids were falling asleep and. So I sort of like to think that I'm leaving them in the, uh, you know, in good company with Grant's music and just how relaxing and beautiful that whole score is, but in particular, this track.
Frosty Morning from Viva Pinata by Grant Kirkhope. So does that actually work then, the sleepy playlist thing? Does it does it have the desired effect? And do you use other playlists for other moods with your kid? Uh yes and yes. Um uh yeah, yeah, it works. I mean I wouldn't say I'd train them Pavlovian style to be like <laughs> I press play and immediately they fall asleep. Ring the bell. <laughs> yeah. Um but as you know, any parent of young children knows uh, the more of a routine you can have for bedtime, the better. As in, okay, it's 6.45 now. Okay, we're going to put you in your pyjamas. We're going to go out to bed. Okay, we'll have two stories from this lot and two stories from this pile and blah, blah, blah. You've got that, you know, different for everybody. Some people do a bath or whatever. But this is the last thing I tend to do um, after reading them stories when they're, they're super chill. And I'm trying to get out of the room and go back downstairs and play some Red Dead Redemption or something um, that I've been waiting to play all day. And, uh, and yeah, just stick this this playlist on, put a timer so it turns itself off and uh, it seems to relax them very well and settle them down. And uh, um, your other question was, uh, do I have other mood playlists? I absolutely do. I have about 200 other playlists, probably more. I've been building up these playlists, crikey, since iTunes started 2004. One or whenever it came out, the program mm. came out, just, you know, collecting video game soundtracks and other music, lots of other music from other through various <coughs> means mm. earlier on. Uh, and now it's all mostly available legally, fortunately. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll do, I've got, you know, summary playlists and upbeat playlists and party playlists and so on mm. and so forth. So. What uh, for, for listeners maybe who haven't tuned into Sound of Play before, what? Uh, what sound of play was your chill uh, mega mix? Uh, good question. Was it two, three, six? I think maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I haven't got it in front of me. Listener, if you if you aren't familiar with the show and you fancy sort of getting the vibe of uh, Thomas's certainly his chill playlist, uh, we did a sound of play, which is essentially that, and uh, might be helpful in this uh, with the theme of uh, self care. A chill playlist might be just what you need. It featured uh, as a good number, big chunky number of uh, video game tracks blended together for uh, maximum mental refreshment. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided for my next pick, uh, this could have been any number of tunes from the game, although some of them are a bit more hectic and intense and urgent than others. This was one of the more laid back tunes from Tetris Effect, but it also seemed to be a nice segue from your frosty morning to my Aurora Peak, <laughs> brackets snows. This is uh, one of the, the many themed levels from Tetris Effect. There are yeah, a huge amount for those who haven't played it. It is the Tetris that is by Monstars and Resonair, where you play Tetris, but it has the, the Luminez style twist of this whole kind of synesthesia vibe going on where as you turn the shapes and lock them into place and clear lines, the stage becomes ever more elaborate and pretty. And this one is set on a mountain and it starts off fairly misty and frosty. Uh, And as the stage progresses, you kind of ascend to the peak or the camera pretty much is just hovering over the top of the mountain and you you get above the clouds and the the music builds up and uh, and it's all very it's all very lovely um there's quite a few levels as i say on this game that i could have picked as things which uh i find therapeutic to play um and i suppose tetris in itself i think even just playing if you were to simply play the 8 bit black and white or yellow and gray game boy version of tetris i think there's certainly 
thera- therapy to be had with that game. If I think there's a point where it probably does go beyond that if you're if you're getting competitive at it and it, it, it can become difficult and frustrating. But I think if you if you play Tetris at a level which you're comfortable with, uh, which will be different for different people depending on your experience, you can very happily slip in and out of that sort of fugue state of awareness of only the game and then you can become sort of more aware of your kind of person your that sort of mindfulness that that sort of almost meditative state of being aware of your real current state that um there that mindfulness technique of of uh, simply being aware of what is actually happening now rather than catastrophizing about the infinite possibilities of how everything may go may get worse and and tetris effect for me is even as i say if you can get this from any version of tetris tetris effect is the one that absolutely possibly in vr even more so which i don't have i've only played this briefly in vr uh if, if you want to talk about pure immersion and escaping i think we you might lose to, you forever leon if- yeah yeah <laughs> uh but yes again in terms of a a period just away from your head I think I, I personally find, and you know, you're, as with all these things, your mileage may vary, but I personally find this, and this is one of the stages in particular, that I find very helpful.
Aurora Peak, Snows by Noboru Muto from one of my very favourite games of 2018, Tetris Effect. We're going to talk about Tetris Effect on the Kane and Rinse podcast later this year. Uh, we're also going to talk about Tetris 99, which came out within a few months of it and did quite well as well. Tetris uh, just continues to be important and relevant. Another puzzle game next in the... Yeah, it's probably what we call a puzzle game. I haven't played this, Grindstone. This is from the, uh, a studio that I love, uh, Cappy, Capybara. Uh, and I know you were raving about this. I think it was, it's, uh, it's an iOS game, arrived first on Apple Arcade. I think, you, I think you can possibly play it on elsewhere now. I don't know. I don't know either, no. Hmm. But it was definitely worth the... Well, yeah, so the segue says a lot about therapeutic games, mindfulness games. Uh, I, for, for those of us who, you know, have been playing puzzle games for decades and kind of know what we like, uh, you know, some people like Picross, some people like Tetris, some people like more cerebral or, or mechanics based stuff. Um, but puzzle games are just such a fantastic way to uh, not zone out, but zone out in, as a way to focus in on something that is not. Yeah, not, that it's is a not hard thing to explain, as I was, as I proved about Tetris. But well, it's just it's of... just the the mindfulness techniques tend to center around the breath. So something that's constant that you can uh, that's always there that you can just put all your attention on, and when your attention wanders off, you can bring it back to the breath. Substitute breath for Tetris, <laughs> or or similarly good uh well-made puzzle games of which of course there's a long long history of some people love very much stuff like threes uh leon i think you and i share a quite a love of drop seven mm -hmm. um my wife is uh, i'm pretty much a widower to candy crush saga um much as i don't like the free-to-play mechanics and all of that all of yeah. that extra jazz it clearly brings her a lot of uh, uh peace to just sort of dive into that um and uh, uh i've always resisted this new uh wave of mobile puzzle games with all the timers and yeah and all that stuff i think mm -hmm. perhaps it kind of depends maybe what era of gaming you you've been playing since you might be more resistant to that stuff now funnily enough i mean grindstone is is brilliant it's just bloody brilliant it's so addictive oh i said the a word um <laughs> made a made an alarm go off. And I, made an alarm I don't go think off. It's, addictive's <laughs> not a banned word. It's not. It's not on my list of words that should never be spoken. I said the. I said the a word. Um, there's been plenty of debate about that. Addictive, compulsive, whatever you want to call it. A good puzzle game that really absorbs you, perhaps to the point of distraction, where you should be doing something else. Or if it's you... distraction, we're all right. If it's destruction, maybe not. Yes. So. Well, you're spending 15 minutes longer on the loo than you perhaps. I think Should. that's again self care, right? <laughs> and you're making sure you've you've fully uh, uh, yeah yeah excavated. all right okay anyway so moving yeah. on from that uh, but Grindstone for me was definitely one of those games. Funnily enough, it's got it's got all of those kind of different currencies and and crafting stuff in it, yeah. such that you can see that maybe you know we trust Cappy as designers yeah. because of the quality of their previous games to not go down that kind of aggressive monetization route. You can uh, see that yeah. maybe they hedged and were like this could be a really good game we've got all these different um, materials and stuff in the game so if we needed to turn this into a free-to-play game 
at least we've had the mechanics there. Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah. as it is, free trial for Apple Arcade when it came out, um, uh, it's so nice to play a, a game like that. And it kind of, you know, ostensibly looks like a Candy Crush saga or something like that. The animation's beautiful. It's very colourful. Um, you know, I'd been chipping away at my wife about Candy Crush for years, and there's here's me absolutely monstering through grindstone she looks over and is like why is that any different i'm like well because it's a proper <laughs> artist made it <laughs> and um yeah uh, uh because it was free on apple arcade or apple arcade doesn't even cost didn't even cost that much you know five or a month i think it was yeah. um grindstone on its own apart from the other really good games on apple arcade on its own grindstone is actually uh, uh, the jewel in the crown for me of the ones i tried and um and you can finish it that's the thing it's got 150 levels or at least it did when i started i haven't been back to mm. it and i don't think i ever will so you could just get to the end so so the fact that we've got a brilliant puzzle game that is as compelling as a lot of those free-to-play games but doesn't have any of the uh, uh monetization in it the fact that it's finite so that i can play it really intensely for a couple of weeks be like uh if this went on forever i might have a problem <laughs> Yeah. But it doesn't like like our car with Marvel, um, <laughs> the Marvel one. Yeah, I mean that's been a. To be honest, over the course of my gaming life, uh, before I had uh, long before I had children, um, there was a, a kind of a point where I was uh, into video games a lot, but not too mindful of it. Playing a lot of Pro Evo Master League single player which is pretty pointless in a way apart from it giving me uh, 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 joy and, and comfort uh, it's a bit pointless just playing master league over and over again and you win all the cups and you you know just uh, again every year and there's what a new one every year and at a certain point i was like i had to ban myself around 2008 stop playing the same football game over and over again by myself not getting any better at it particularly and then Flower came out on PS3 and I was like, oh, okay, RT indie games, that might be a thing. And that kind of started my journey towards considering games as a wider uh, medium. Hmm. Um, how does that relate back to Grindstone? Well, just that I, I developed a real love of finite games. Now, I know some people um, swear by Spelunky and roguelikes and MMOs and... Um, esports games and MOBAs and things like that they've just never really been for me I do prefer vastly prefer a game that finishes so that I can put the experience to bed file it away in my memory ideally do a Canarin's podcast about it to properly kind of you know get some closure and uh, and yeah so just the fact that this game ends uh was perfect for me and and, yeah. and elevated it in many ways mm. yeah I had a similar experience with uh, another earlier iOS puzzle game, 10 million, which also uh, has crafting elements as well as a puzzle and has an end. Yeah. Uh, so I get that completely get that. Oh, and it has a brilliant soundtrack to boot. Yes. The, why, why this music? Wait, Oh, just, this is the best. Just you like it. Absolute killer bunch of tracks. It's kind of moved on. It's, it's, m I'd say it's the next level of sophistication on from what I call post chip tune, uh, uh -huh. which is that in this period, late, late noughties and through the teens of uh, indie games with with soundtracks that weren't chip tune, but were evoca evocative of 
chip tune and old game video game music deliberately to kind of you know celebrate it and uh, and reel in reel in players of, of quote unquote classic video games. This is taking that kind of lo-fi hip hop thing. I'd say a little bit like Darren Corb's work at, at Supermassive, mm-hmm. um, musically speaking, and kind of going in that direction where it still sounds video gamey, but it doesn't sound chip tuney necessarily but it's still in that kind of post what i call post chip tune area of really high quality indie video game music that's very gamey but it's also cool and uh and just really really well made and and way better than you would expect a kind of um colorful puzzler to have
That was The Creeps by Sam Webster. New to us, I believe, on Sound of Play. Hopefully we'll be hearing more from Sam in the future. I'm mindful, speaking of self-care and mindfulness, I'm mindful of what I said about nostalgia earlier. And my next pick, again, I can imagine people will think is is uh, is a nostalgia based thing uh, which again i suppose there's an, there's there's an element of truth to that but it's as much again about the vibe of the game and also in terms of self care one of the aspects of games that i wanted to talk about in terms of games that make me feel good to play like actually make me feel better are ones that i am really good at <laughs> uh, so a Marvel superheroes game, and this is the game that is called simply Marvel superheroes from Capcom in the mid nineties. Uh, I only played it at the arcades a little, but I had the Saturn version, which was uh, with the one meg Ram expansion, pretty much arcade perfect other than a few load times. I now play it on the Xbox 360, sadly no longer available uh, due to licensing issues. You can't re-download it and it's not backwards compatible, but I have it forever installed on my 360, uh, which gets hooked up just to play Marvel superheroes. The thing about Marvel superheroes is it it was a follow up to X-Men Children of the Atom, which is also a cracker. But Children of the Atom, the AI enemy AI against the CPU was hard. I thought I thought it was unreasonably difficult. Now, they've always jumped around a bit, the Capcom versus fighting games in terms of their arcade modes, like how how difficult the the progress is marvel superheroes every version i've ever played is weirdly stupidly easy (laughs) but i don't care (laughs) it's still more of a multiplayer game anyway so why not make the single player quite easy it's a bit like the the street fighter 5 story modes in that respect in that they're just designed to be played through and beaten and then you move on with your life but it makes so much sense here because the the heroes on offer uh, I mean, obviously you're coming up against other heroes, so maybe it doesn't make that much sense that Spider-Man can kick in Hulk in about 30 seconds. But, uh, but it's, but it's such fun. It's, uh, it, and, and again, this game is just such an expression of joy. And even though obviously the, the, the graphics are much lower resolution for, for 2D graphics than you would see from, you know, Arc System Works now, something like the Dragon Ball game, which just looks unbelievable or their Guilty Gear games. This, to me, still looks just like a comic book come to life. And uh, I was never a massive Marvel fan as a kid. Like I had a couple of Spider-Man comics. Like I had, a, I had an origin story reprint and, and stuff like this. Uh, but I was never massive on superheroes. Batman was my thing. And I didn't even really know the difference between DC and Marvel as, as a little kid. Um, but here I was playing this interpretation of the Infinity war saga and it was therefore then fun you know i got into the mcu like many other nerds and dorks and just regular folks did uh, over the last uh, decade or more and it was fun then seeing the story that i knew from this capcom video game kind of fleshed out and made in into a live action and cgi film in in the in the 2010s but here you get to go back and basically it's got this really cool infinity gem mechanic where each character you you can basically smash the gems out of the other person's hand and pick them up and start using them for your own ends different powers you get um invincibility or speed or armor or whatever but also the reality gem gives you kind of weird slightly quirky powers 
Um, and yeah, the whole thing is just a blast. It's it's just pure comic book come to life. And as I say, with that low difficulty, even even on the default setting, uh, it's just something that I can always put on and just have a simply fantastic time. It's one of those games where it's hard not to hard not to smile. That's, that's definitely something I've done with various games over the years is set it to easy. I think I used to do that in Pro Evo every once in a while and set <laughs> it to very low difficulty and score 80, 86 goals, you know. Uh, yeah. I do remember um, Quake 3 Arena, for just a moment in time, I had a PC that could play actual current right. releases. But I've never really been into online gaming or never been uh, keen to chase down online gaming experiences. So I just set up a load of bots on Quake 3 Arena and just put on some Red Hot Chili Peppers or something loud and just blast people away on easy, you know, and just yeah, enjoy it. Can be it. very cathartic. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just uh, 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 with the music, it plays a big part, played a big part of that. Like I say, I was swapping out the soundtrack in that particular um, occurrences. I'm sure I've done this with other games. Like I say, loading up Final Fantasy VII recently on Switch with all the assists and just mindlessly playing 20 minutes for comfort. There's mm. something about all the... Well, my, my next pick, I can kind of segue now really, is, is a track from Bloodborne. There's something about with video games managing your own difficulty, managing the difficulty level, level of challenge with, with which you approach the game in order to sate whichever uh, uh, um emotional emotion that you want to feel so like you say playing this incredibly easy game that gives you incredible comfort uh just to be able to switch your brain off perhaps to the mechanics of the game a little bit and just let the experience wash over you versus 
someone who um, finds a game like uh, a Soulsborne, like especially, I guess, Sekiro, which I will never play, mm. probably, uh, who enjoys um, creating artificial anxiety. So, so, so going into a world, obviously in Soulsborne, you know, dark, scary, uh, uh, high, high fantasy worlds or horror scenarios um that are are ostensibly stressful you know horrible sound effects horrible enemies scary situations people attacking you being violent um supernatural things coming after you grabbing you out of thin air uh, invisible nightmarish stuff exactly exactly Mm. but um it's not real and you can um as you gain mastery over it and as you uh, become better at those games and learn the controls and learning the timing. And it's not just Soulsborne games, obviously, like that. Um, a lot of people love horror uh, films and games like that, Dead Space and Resident Evil, whatever it is, um, where you can jack up uh, your anxiety to a degree, but then you can also gain mastery over that, yeah. uh, that space that you're occupying. Yeah. And that, for me, certainly with Bloodborne, I know for a lot of people, obviously Bloodborne's five years old now. Mm. Um, it's getting a lot of kind of retrospective love. People are still thirsty for uh, a sequel or a even 4K just... A 4K version. Would yeah, be nice. just a 60 yeah. frames version, um, which I guess kind of elevates a Bloodborne 2 now into that Half-Life 3 Final Fantasy VII remake Last Guardian uh, vaporware world, huh. doesn't it? Because we've... Unfortunately, we had all of those dreams fulfilled. You know, Half-Life is carrying on. Last Guardian did get finished. Final Fantasy yeah. VII did get remade. Uh, the next thing on the list should probably be a, a, a Bloodborne uh, 64. Well, or... maybe Demon Souls first, eh? But I think we have a strong suspicion that Bluepoint are bringing us that at some point. In the yeah, but, but is... The, with the slower pace of the Dark Souls and the Demon Souls, I think, p- for me personally... Bloodborne with its more attacking, mm. with its horror aesthetic for a start, yeah, and um, more aggressive uh, play oh, yeah. style. It's so, sat better with me as a play as a player for sure. Because because if they they're stopping you turtling up, and I mm. know that this is more the case with Sekiro, where some of those insanely hard bosses, you have to really be on the front foot. And I think that is an interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear you know what what. Um, Miyazaki thinks about this if he if he thinks about it at all of bringing literally bringing people out of their shell you know invite you know forcing players inviting players encouraging them to go on the front foot be proactive take control of the situation against seemingly impossible odds against horrific horrendous squelchy squirchy aggressive creatures um and conquering that can relieve you know you can finish a session of bloodborne and feel really and feel that anxiety that that artificial anxiety relieved in a way that um is just somewhat therapeutic or has been for me
another aspect I wanted to talk about with our last two picks with my Spider-Man and your Bloodborne, and this will segue into my next pick, is multiplayer. And obviously some people won't have the opportunity to play local multiplayer. So Marvel Super Heroes is, uh, it does actually have online, but realistically I'm not, I'm not going to find a game and I'm not going to persuade uh, too many of my friends to play a 25-year-old versus uh, a game with me on the Xbox 360 where it's available. It's only available if you bought it at the time. So, uh, and I only live here with my partner who likes some games, like she would probably play music games or puzzle games with me but she's not going to play marvel superheroes even though she loves the mcu um you talk talked about uh bloodborne and we've heard uh, michael ash nightmare host uh, by michael wandmacher or wandmaker um and that is a, a game of course where you can invite people in for good or ill um but one sort of type of game we we're not covering here that i think is probably again going to come come into its own a lot of people kind of live this way anyway, where a lot of their friends are their their real life friends are remote uh, online acquaintances from around the world. And I guess at this time, particularly things like the free to play stuff like the new Call of Duty, the Apex Legends and, and whatever, whatever you want to play Fortnite or, or, or whatever. Um, it's a really good way for people to socialize when they can't socialize. Mm. there's so many aspects to this um just off the top of my head i've loved playing puzzle games with my wife uh, uh we're playing through phoenix right at the moment we've played some uh, and visual novels that is phoenix right mm. and the zero escape games we love return of the obra din uh her story that kind of thing and that has been a, a great relief to both of us like she really really wants to play phoenix right at the moment she's just because it's just takes a yeah. mind off it super silly um we uh, did enjoy playing the Jackbox games with friends when we were still <laughs> allowed friends over. Um, yeah. I haven't quite gotten the case with uh, trying to do that online. And I know that, that board games, virtual board games, and, and people mm. have been investigating all sorts of brilliant ways. To... Yeah, I've played a little ticket to ride with a friend of mine who I haven't done any video gaming with for literally 20 years. <laughs> I've been trying to get my, my buddy who used to come over from movie night. I've been trying to, we've been trying to work out what game to jump into might be destiny 2 might be gta 5 it hasn't worked it out yet um there was that um no clip documentary about that gta 5 uh, uh clan i guess you'd say uh the group of people from just all over the world um who came together to play gta 5 together and they had, had big parties together uh people just never met never would have met except through this this game and um there's MMOs, people who met their wife. You know, there's all the stories from over the years about um, ways that online games, multiplayer games, local and online, have given people incredible um, uh, happiness and shared experiences. And that's, yeah, probably going to get more and more and more of an emphasis as time goes by, I think. Yeah. And, and on the sub, you were talking about perhaps generally more we associate uh, maybe arty or indie games with self-care and that and you know that kind of touchy more touchy-feely stuff of course the two poster children for for uh current video gaming kind of uh isolation time they both happened to come out on the same day and there there was a lot of interesting cross promotion <laughs> and stuff that was really embraced by both these uh big companies big studios one of the one of the games is doom eternal and we were talking about the catharsis of shooting literal demons in the face and how that can be such a such a, a great and healthy 
and uh, fun thing to do. But on the flip side, the the sort of uh, the, the the yang to uh, doom eternal's yin is uh, is Animal Crossing. I think I think the new genre name is Nurture Games. Nurture. I, I, I okay. seem to be hearing that yeah. more and more. All right, I can, I can dig it. Um, and so I've been an Animal Crossing player since two thousand and three. The original came out in Japan in two thousand and one, first on the N sixty four, and then two thousand and two on the GameCube. It's basically a high res version of the same game. Then, essentially, due to internal enthusiasm, it got westernized and localized to America, and did surprisingly well so they ended up latterly bringing it out in in the eu as well but it's actually i have a a, a, again a nostalgic association because it was one of the first main birthday presents that my then new ish partner got me um and we're we're still together here uh how many years later it is um 18 years 17 18 years um and so yeah it was an import game and she bought me the the u.s import which wasn't cheap with uh, it came with a memory card as well because an animal crossing save took up an entire gamecube memory card because uh, that's how it worked and the import enabler disc as well and um the the early animal crossing now would seem very uh unuser friendly and lacking in quality of life and one of the probably the most curious things about it that i've seen quite a few people referencing is how cranky and irascible and difficult the other villagers were in the original animal crossing it's so much more nicey nicey now (laughs) like if you don't see someone for a while they're like you know they're like hey how have you been whereas in the original it was more like well thanks for showing your face after three months of not coming round and this kind of thing so it was it was a bit it had a bit more of an edge to it passive aggressive much yeah it was it was a lot like that um it's actually and, called, and I, was it called Animal Forest? Yeah, it's uh, Dubutsi no Mori, I think it is the Japanese name. Yeah, Animal Forest. Um, they just decided for whatever reason they would make it crossing for the US version. Don't know. But it's stuck. Here we are. And um, so I wanted to obviously acknowledge the fact that, uh, yes, the, the new one came out and I I bought it. The reviews were spectacular and I started playing it then. My niece, who's 10 and currently Nintendo obsessed, called me up um, the morning I was playing it just to, she was playing something else and she she wanted to see what if I wanted to play some online stuff with her. And uh, so we did that for a while. But then uh, I, as a treat, um, bought her a copy after we finished the phone call. Um, I, I bought a code online and just sent her the code and said, put that into your eShop. And, uh, and she was really happy and that was really nice. And... Um, then the next day, because we, we, we visited each other's uh, islands. So back in the original, you just used to, so it was a local multiplayer only thing. So you would take your memory card round to somebody else's GameCube and your villager would get the train to their village effectively and just visit the other memory card sort of thing. Now, of course, it's all online and you can have your friends visit and, and strangers from around the world. And that's all wonderful um so we me and my niece visited each other's villages and i was she she's new to animal crossing she's 10 years old um i don't she didn't play new leaf so it's all it's all new to her and she didn't know about the um the fruit stuff so i said you know i was saying like what fruits have you got and uh, and it turned out we both got the same one which was cherries so i said oh never mind okay we'll 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 import some fruit from other places um but then i got, uh, i booted it up the next day 
And I got a letter uh, in my inbox, which is how you communicate in Animal Crossing, of course. And, uh, and it was just a letter from my niece. And it just said, Dear Ratso, I know it isn't a fruit, but it might help. And it was uh, just a package of medicine. <laughs> it was so sweet. And um, this was obviously earlier in the, the, the pandemic and, and uh, situation. And I think I can't remember exactly where it was in relation to our lockdown, but it was, uh, it was when things still felt very scary and raw. And it was just such a, such a lovely moment. And uh, yeah, it's now my, uh, my pinned tweet on my, my own Twitter feed. Um, she's, you know, she's a child with difficulties as well. She has uh, autism and ADHD and her mum has an extremely difficult time at the best of times <laughs> with, with her. But with me, she's always, um, she's just always uh, a delight to, to hang out with and, and play games with. So, yeah. And, and so a shout out to that and a shout out to her Brook and Animal Crossing as well um, as a game that is, I think, helping in these uh, extraordinary, unprecedented, that's the word, time. That was Save Your Game from the original GameCube Animal Crossing. Uh, multiple composers worked on that, most notably Kazumi Totaka, but I uh, will have put them all on the credits because I don't know exactly who picked that one. The reason I like that piece especially is just because it's, uh, it's just got that. Again, it's, it's, probably, it's probably one for your bedtime, sleepy time playlist. Hmm. Uh, Thomas, it's, uh, it's that I'm wrapping up my Animal Crossing for the end of the day. That was one thing I did like about the old, again, in terms of the quality of life now, of course, in, in New Horizons, you can just press minus button, save your game. It takes about five seconds and, and, you, and you're out of there. Or you can just put the console in sleep mode. Not on the GameCube. You had to go home in, on your, in your village and speak to the gyroid that's outside your house and then go through a, a series of dialogue boxes and then you would go into your house and then you would sit through a fairly lengthy, most of that piece of music while your game saved uh, to its entire memory card. So that reminds me of that kind of, um, that sort of uh, actual, uh, what's the word? Um, ceremony of closing your animal crossing game which is yeah. now it's been lost to quality of life <laughs> there's a there's a gaiden podcast idea there talking about you know the uh, idiosyncrasies of of odd video game enforced video game rituals right yes yeah yeah 
Well, um, this has been a lot of fun. I hope, listener, obviously, we know this is a music show and we've done quite a lot of talking in this one, but I hope that's uh, been to your tastes and uh, has been in some way useful. Thanks for joining me, Thomas, and thanks for suggesting it. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, yeah, we didn't. We wanted to stick to our own experiences, didn't we? So we didn't want to start going into anything clinical or, or offering advice to people uh, from two people who shouldn't give advice. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't yeah, directly exactly. Give advice to Very people. well said. Um, An important thing to say. Like, and everything we've said is based on our own personal experiences and maybe the the therapies we've received. Um, I. I've had uh, a ton of CBT f- through the NHS, uh, both solo and uh, as in a group. Um, the thing about CBT is if you can get to it on a waiting list, um, it, I, I do think it's useful for most people. I believe that the studies say it is. But I think um, certainly my experience in a group scenario was that, uh, and I, I'm sure this, I, I, I know this is true of the group session of pain management that my partner goes to is you'll always have people there who are not invested and cynical and won't do anything to help themselves but i've found with cbt that even if you don't necessarily feel like every session is doing anything at the time it's more about arming yourself with techniques for future for the future uh, where you start to learn and recognize what's helpful and what isn't helpful um, and there are some there are some online resources. If you go to mind.org.uk, and I suspect there are equivalents wherever you are, uh, they've actually currently specifically got a coronavirus and your well-being section, which is worth checking out. But it's worth going to mind.org for your uh, the, I think there's various um, mindfulness and CBT type therapies on there. I know there's a few mindfulness apps and stuff which people recommend, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't personally used those. Mm. Uh, There's a Forbes article called Nine Ways to Stay Positive During the Coronavirus Pandemic. I also recommend there's a uh, a site. uh, uh, I think it's a, I I think it may have their own site, but it's a social media presence called Future Crunch. And every single day they they print a, a slew of the good news stories that will have been buried among all the 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 fretting and doom mongering on the mainstream users which uh, i very rec- very much recommend that to counterbalance uh some of the some of the negativity uh one more article i wanted to recommend was uh, this is actually from march the 23rd but i suspect it's still relevant to a lot of people uh in the harvard business review it's called that discomfort you're feeling is grief and explains why you might feel like something or someone has died because effectively it has uh, the world has changed um, and even if the worst of it is temporary there will be some uh, reverberations which we'll feel for for a long long time mm. to come and uh, our brain interprets that as a kind of death uh, same as it does when you even sometimes when you do positive things in your life like move house or get married and stuff like that often that comes with a period of grief which is a very hard thing to deal with. Um, and I, I think it's possibly, and again, I stress I am unqualified. I think that in some ways relates to, as well as the hormonal side of postnatal depression and postpartum. Um, I think that that can there's an element of that because when you bring a child into the world, a huge part of your existence has gone. And so... Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is why I've never done but it. This is totally uh, facetious of me. But do you ever feel like when you've played a really immersive, giant, you know, 60 hour game or whatever, and it's finally time to put it down, you know, Skyrim, Horizon Zero, doing something like that. Yeah. And it's time to put it down. There is a sort of a day and a half of feeling a bit di- empty, discombobulated. You know? Yeah, for sure. I have a thing now because of the nature of how I game and how we play for cane and rinse i'm always kind of already chomping at the bit to get on with the next thing but what i do find that i do is i nearly always jump in just for a few minutes into new game plus or or that final save state or whatever again just to make my peace with the fact that i'm moving on Mm. um and i think often it's just a case of going yeah i'm never going to play this for 50 hours again or not never, but probably I'm not now. So it's it's actually okay. But yeah, there is definitely, I think there's definitely that, that sudden disconnect to go from final boss, end sequence, credits, boom, that's it, you've done. So yeah, like that was one of the things, uh, I can't remember if we talked about it on the Red Dead Redemption 2 show, but obviously I played that for how many, 60 hours over a good long period of time. And the fact that the credits are so long and it's got all this absolutely sensational uh, Daniel Lanois music playing over it really kind of sold me that that sadness. Mm. And, and try not to spoil it, Red Dead Redemption 1 has an absolutely remarkable ending act, I guess, mm, that, mm-hmm. that confronts that whole yes. thing in some ways. Uh, the, the, the change that happens, the events of the story. Um, is a very very interesting way to to that, that kind of mitigates that feeling as well in a way. Mm. So talking of spectacular endings, how are we going to close this sound of play? <laughs> so um, uh, uh, of course, suggesting a, a podcast very loosely based on anxiety and gaming and game music, I decided to half promise Leon that I was going <laughs> to contribute my own performance of one of my very very famous favorite pieces as we record this i haven't quite uh, uh nailed my final take hopefully i will if i don't uh for whatever reason i will um be kind to myself and just sub in the official release version which is exquisite um uh, anyone who's heard me speak more than three words knows nobu matsu is my favorite composer uh final fantasy 7 is my favorite game my favorite soundtrack um and the Piano Collections albums, uh, uh, the one for Final Fantasy VII, has arrangements by Shiro Hamaguchi, who is the sort of secret... I think anyone who's delved into Final Fantasy music quite deeply, the Arrange albums, knows that this person is is very special at arranging Uematsu's music. Um, Ahead on Our Way is actually a tune that plays in Calm Town in the first Final Fantasy VII. I haven't heard... Uh, any new arrangements of this from Remake so I'm not quite sure how they've handled it yet but this piano uh, arrangement is lovely, Uh, one of my favourite pieces of all time, I have been um, I kind of lost a a musician, I played lots of different instruments over Mm. the years Um, uh, bass guitar and steel pans and cello and all kinds of different things, piano I still consider a, a kind of a home instrument, it is amongst musicians as well it's kind of the bass, the mother instrument in many ways I lost touch with it for many, many years, uh, which was a real shame. But I moved house a couple of years ago and finally got the chance to own something resembling a a decent 88 key electronic piano. 
um, got it set up, didn't touch it for six months. And then I sort of said, no, I need to find a space in my life for two young children to actually sit down and, and play some piano because it, br- it brings me a lot of comfort. Mm. Um, so I followed the, the tiny habits routine of just trying to do at least 10 minutes a night. So last thing before bed, hop into the piano room and, and play uh, to the study and play just a little bit and just chip away at a piece that I know is slightly too difficult for me. But obviously if I chip away over time, uh, and this was the piece I settled on. Um, it's just slightly beyond my ability, but that's kind of the point of, of trying to improve and learn an instrument. Um, so I've just been working on this for absolutely ages, but only in 10, 10 minute, half an hour chunks. Um, so yeah, so all going well. I've recorded a version I'm happy with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if not, um, this is the official release version of one of my favorite video game uh, associated pieces of music ever and uh yeah mm-hmm. will the listener be able to tell the difference i'm sure, <laughs> sure they will <laughs> well because there's the difference between a real piano recorded really nicely and a synthesized uh, electronic piano from a roland uh roland rd300 which doesn't sound like a real piano so you you will be able to tell <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Thomas, in advance for doing that, if you've managed to nail it. Otherwise, uh, well, whichever we leave you with, um, yeah, do take care. And uh, in the spirit of the special edition of this uh, Sound of Play podcast that we've made, look after yourselves and think about uh, how to keep yourself sane and as happy as you can be in trying times. And we'll see you soon on Sound of Play. (laughs) 